This is the first Sunday of Advent, the beginning of the Christian year. Uh, I'm so grateful to be a pastor at a church uh, that uh, has a Christian year and a liturgical calendar. It would be a mess for me if I had to get up every or to think every week how to make this up from the jump. But being part of a church that has a liturgical year is important from the standpoint of understanding the sanctification of time. Aidan Kavanaugh, one of the uh, famous liturgists of the 20th century, a Roman Catholic monk and a Benedictine monk, wrote a number of books on the liturgy that are very important. And on the Christian year, he said, once in touch with time, as marking the implacable unfolding of divine purpose, it is a time that we recall as Episcopalians who worship according to a liturgical calendar year in and year out that time is important and that the liturgy is the way through which one is able to perceive its true purpose. One is able to perceive its true nature to be not an endless succession of bare moments, but a purposeful thrust home towards its holy source. And what Aidan Kavanaugh means about that is that sometimes, you know, uh, the, the, the German philosopher Hegel referred to, a, you had a term that he used called bad infinity. None of us want to be stuck in bad infinity, right? <laughs> And so sometimes there are people who are uh, not aware that, you know, we're talking about God's plan for the cosmos. We're talking about how each one of us fit. How if we say that you are unconditionally accepted, loved, and forgiven by God, that you have a role to play in God's plan, and that time is important, and who you are, and what you do, and when you do it, is an important thing. So Christian people over time began to say, you know what, in our common worship together, we want to think about the sanctification of time. And if we believe that Jesus Christ is the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, the template that we lay over our own spiritual life and maturity, then in some way following his life through the year is going to give us some tools that we can use, some clues about what it means to be the best human being that we can be. So on the first Sunday of Advent every year, it's, it's a, a, a good opportunity for a little Episcopalian 101 to speak about the origin of the Christian year, to say some things about the themes of Advent, and then to preach briefly on two of the readings, the one from the book of the prophet Isaiah, and Matthew's account of what is known as the synoptic apocalypse, which I'll explain later. But it is an important thing so we can understand uh, how the biblical writers understood the apocalyptic writing that they engaged in about the future and how you and I might understand what that means and try to prune it from some of the more excessive uh, interpretation that we have been hearing over the last uh, while. After the Christ event, that's what some biblical scholars refer to Jesus as teaching, ministry, life, death, resurrection, ascension into heaven. The first Christians did not immediately traipse down 
to St. Luke's downtown Jerusalem and begin to hold services from the Book of Common Prayer. The liturgical year went through a process of evolution. And so the first post in the liturgical year was Easter, the celebration of Easter. And the second post in the liturgical year was the celebration of the Lord's birth, which we call Christmas. And then what happened next were the creation of preparatory seasons prior to Easter, which we now call Lent, and prior to Christmas, which we call Advent. Adventus in Latin means coming. So it's the preparation for the coming of the Savior. Advent in the north of Europe, where our tradition comes from, in the early part of Christianity, we have a more austere celebration of Advent, very similar to Lent, as long as Lent, and heavily penitential. In fact, it was referred to by many in, you know, I'm talking about England, France, Germany, the countries we call Belgium, Holland, you know, Luxembourg, North, Northern Europe. They called it St. Martin's Lent. St. Martin of Tours, feast day is November the 14th. And after November the 14th, this season began through Christmas. So it was six weeks long. In the more southern climates, in the Mediterranean part of the Christian world, Advent was four weeks long and less penitential. So by the time we fast forward into about the 6th century, we begin to see definitely a celebration of Lent. And by the time of Charlemagne, we see that Lent has now gone through an evolution, excuse me, Advent has gone through an evolution. So it means it's been shortened to four weeks everywhere. And it has retained still some of its penitential flavor to uh, accommodate the Northern Europeans, who I guess are always somewhat more austere than our Mediterranean confreres in Christianity. We know about this because we possess a text. And the text is called the Gelasian Sacramentary. And in the Gelasian Sacramentary, we have a full range of collects and biblical readings for a season called Advent. In the north of Europe and in England, the, the liturgical color that was worn for Advent was blue. In the southern part of the Christian world in Europe, the color was violet or purple. So many years ago at St. Luke's, we restored the more ancient use, which is also in, in the English church referred to as the serum use, because it was what was in place in Salisbury Cathedral in England by the time of Henry VIII and was almost universally observed throughout England, France, Germany, Belgium, Holland, and so on. So it represents that particular liturgical expression. It's not wrong to wear violet. Uh, all are okay. Here's the true color scheme in the, in, in the English church. There isn't one. 
There is no official color scheme. A lot of churches follow the Roman pattern, right, which is violet for Advent, white for Christmas and Easter, uh, red for Pentecost and for the Feasts of Martyrs, and black sometimes is for for, uh, liturgies for the dead. But we don't follow that sequence here. We follow the older sequence, blue for Advent, unbleached linen for Lent called the Lenten Array, and then white or gold for Christmas and Easter and all of those great festivals, and green for the Sundays after Pentecost. In fact, in England, in a lot of places, they never wore green. They wore red on the ordinary Sundays as a brick color, a brick red color, not the color of, of blood. So it was a more subdued red. So you, you should keep this stuff on ice. You never know when you might need it. You know, you can tell people things about it. It's like the Gelasian Sacramentary. You should uh, keep that in mind. It's kind of a great word, isn't it? Gelasian, you know. It's better than the Bobbio missile, which is another tech. That's sort of less congenial. But, you know, it's like... Did any of you ever see the movie Mozart? You know, the as Soliari and all that sort of thing. There's this scene, I don't know why this popped into my head, but there's this scene in the movie Mozart where Frederick the Great is speaking to his musical uh, guy, the, his co- court composer. And he's saying, it's a shame that we can't have uh, any opera written in German. And Mozart said, well, sire, I can write you an opera in German. And the court composer, who was Italian, said, oh, uh, no, majesty, um, opera, eh, opera in German is a too uh, bruta forza. <laughs> but he went ahead and wrote an opera in German anyway, it was pretty darn good, wasn't it? You know, an absolute genius. Here are the themes of Advent that are important and they they will continue to be important through the season of Advent and also in the Christmas celebrations that last for two or three weeks following. The necessity of being prepared, understanding that preparation and intention Uh, is an important part of the Christian faith and life. Repentance, looking at your life in a new way, making some decisions about changing direction, if that is a necessary thing to do. Next week, we meet our old Advent friend, John, don't sing jingle bells to me, the Baptist. (laughs) And he's going to be long on repentance. Right? And maybe a little short on humor, but very important with regard to focusing on that need to transform our outlook and our ways of being and relating. Hope, understood as honesty, openness, persistence, and enthusiasm. So Christian people are to be people of hope. 
not just like, you know, the woman at the Mervyn's department store out in front of the door on the, in the TV ad, open, 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 you know, no. You know, hoping that it's going to happen. That's not what we're talking about. Honesty, openness, persistence, and enthusiasm. Being people of expectation. You know, expectation in the spiritual life is defined as being able to use the full range of your imaginative powers to reconnect about the deep things of who you are and what you want to do. So having certain expectations about your vocation, certain expectations about your relationships, certain expectations about the possibility that you can transform the way you understand your place in God's plan for the cosmos is an important thing. And Advent is a season when we understand expectation not merely as expecting the big presence, but as expecting some way of understanding uh, God coming into your heart and life in a way uh, that will be transformative. Being people of joy... Joy for the Christian person is the slow, steady belief that the conundrums, the ambiguities, the uncertainties, the difficulties of life will come into surer and clearer focus for you and that you will begin to gain, even if it's for a split, split second from time to time, a certain clarity of understanding about who you are and what you're supposed to be doing. And we can be joyful about that prospect. That in the midst of the realities of life, that somehow we can gain greater clarity. And in, to some degree, it's a reciprocal process between your own personal reflection as a human being and touching the Spirit of God which is within you. God coming in an inward way to enlighten and strengthen you so that you're able to do this as you live your life on a daily basis. And finally, Christian people in Advent reflect on and understand the importance of what will be proclaimed on Christmas, that we are to be people of peace and that we are advocates for peace on earth. And the Savior would have called that the shalom of God, a profound understanding of the peaceful nature of God's action in all aspects of human life. Peacefulness does not mean merely the absence of war, although that is a centerpiece. It also means that the peacefulness that you and I pray for and that we receive, even if it's from time to time, the ability to still the internal storms and stress that we all feel, the ability to quiet the committee that lives in our head rent-free, the ability that we have to in some way uh, Keep our demons on the periphery is something that we can understand as part of the process of the peace of God that is at work. All Christian people need to be peacemakers. And that is a good segue into the reading from the book of the prophet Isaiah. It's a famous reading, beating your swords into plowshares. You can bring to. I was in seminary. And one of my classmates, Roland Kuano, who for years was the rector of the Japanese congregation in Toronto, Canada, he got up to read this lesson on Advent, and he broke down and wept when he read that part of what God's plan is for peace.
and the transforming of human beings into peaceful people. Now, you and I have to face a certain reality, and that is, is that it could be interpreted, this passage, that there's going to be some time at the end of human history when this will be so. Well, my own opinion is that a lot of that theology simply doesn't bear heavy scrutiny because it's all happening in history without remainder. And you and I are not called to wait for a moment, a Star Trek moment, where all of a sudden, zhing, there's a divine ethnic cleansing and everything gets put right. If you and I are part of God's plan for the cosmos and the preaching and teaching and mighty works of the Savior seem to support this in the biblical witness, then we have to understand that we're all part of the laboring towards an end that, that begins by making things just a little bit more peaceful than they were. And Isaiah hoped and knew that God's work could produce this. Now remember, when they're writing this stuff, they are living in history. And they have their own history going on. And what the history going on is, is the Babylonian captivity. And it's the great liberating work of God that brings the people out of their bondage in Babylon back to Jerusalem. And we have the restoration of God's purposes and the ability to begin again and to understand their role in God's plan for the cosmos as the people of God. And it will be these texts from Isaiah that the Savior will quote when he is saying that all of us have a part of this and that the promises of God that we read here are not just for us, the people of the covenant, but they are now to be offered to everybody. And that God's saving embrace is going to be offered to everyone to come into it and to now be part of the plan of God, to be part of God's saving work, God's healing and wholeness. And so in Advent, as people of hope, we pray and say that it is possible for this to be so and that we can be part of this. And let me say, my friends, that this is also important. If there's anybody in the world that ought to be overly idealistic, it's Christian people. You know, it won't do always to say, well, this simply isn't practical. Well... We need to be aware of the fact that uh, practical schmactical. We've received the promises of God. As the result of that, we now feel the strength, the liberating power, and the ability to rise to the occasion and to be the leaven in the lump. And that's what Isaiah is talking about. Matthew, it, we read today his version of the synoptic apocalypse. Synoptic refers to the first three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Synoptic is a Greek word which means to be seen together. All of those Gospels tell the same stories and use, for the most part, the same sources. The versions are slightly different because their sources vary slightly, but they are the same. Father Brewer's breathless tour of the synoptic theory. 
Mark is the earliest gospel. Matthew and Luke had a copy of Mark to write their gospel. Matthew and Luke had material from their own tradition called Special M for Matthew and Special L for Luke. And Matthew and Luke possessed another source that we do not possess now in its written form called Q. Q comes from a German word called Quella, which means source. So that's how those three Gospels came under development. Now here's the thing. This is pretty apocalyptic, isn't it? And we've got that stuff like an ancient version of being in the back of somebody's car with a bumper sticker that says, At the rapture, this car will be driverless. (laughs) Right? So some would say, well, there must be biblical support for the rapture. Well, as my teacher, my Old Testament professor said in the Shota house, you can believe that if you want to. Here's what they're talking about. All the apocalyptic literature in the Old and the New Testaments flows out of the history in which the people writing about it lived. So Matthew, Luke, and Mark all wrote their Gospels after an extreme apocalyptic moment in the history of the people of Israel. And that was the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem. Between 66 A.D. and 70 A.D., the Roman government destroyed the temple in Jerusalem, thus bringing to an end what we call sacrificial Judaism. It was over and required the development of something that we now call rabbinic Judaism, which is the Judaism that's now here. No more temple. And it must have appeared, certainly to Matthew, a former rabbi, as though the world had come to an end. The women in the field, one left, one taken, are women who've been carried off by the Roman soldiers. This is something that has been uh, part of the history of these people. So projecting that into the future comes out of the necessity, in Matthew's view, and in the Savior's view, this is, in biblical scholarship, some of the earliest material in the New Testament that is, are the words of Jesus. That's the layer, the strand. So this saying is what we call an authentic saying of Jesus. And he is describing here how things happen and admonishing those prior to the destruction in Jerusalem to look at the signs, to be alert, to pay attention. And the way you and I appropriate that and make it part of our own personal history is to somehow make sense out of the apocalyptic moments that we experience as a people in 2010. You know? For some people in this culture, in the last two or three years, we have had an apocalyptic moment. We have been right on the razor's edge of a complete collapse in this country, economically. Nothing like it. I'm, a, I'm the first of the baby boom, and I grew up on two, two big influences. 
in my family. The Great Depression and World War II. So I heard the stories about the Great Depression uh, to the point by the time I got into my teens, I was about ready to scream, right? But I heard the stories, and you know, this is the closest we've got to that. It isn't that, but it's close for some. So we need to say this is an apocalyptic moment. Isaiah and Matthew aren't talking about some cloud cuckoo land future. They are living it. They're in the middle of it. So being joyful, being expectant, being alert, paying attention, seeing how you can change your habits of being and relating are important things to learn in the midst of this kind of adversity and difficulty. So this week, give thanks for the opportunity uh, to be a joyful person, to be a peacemaker. You know, don't always think... Uh, too globally about all these things. A lot of this stuff works at the personal level. And remember, that also means the interior space, our habits of being rela and relating to one another, but also to ourself, you know, and how we are able to relate more in a more healthy way uh, to our personal demons, how we're more able to be people of reflection, and how we're more willing to open ourselves to the possibility of change. The promises of God, the birth of the Savior, is what is ahead for us in the liturgical year. And that will bring now God's act in the creation to make things whole. Amen. <laughs>